0: Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. And before we get started with today's show, I just want to extend an invitation to you to join me on a pilgrimage to the shrines of Belgium and also to Lourdes. It's a 12-day trip taking place May 29th to June 9th. We'll be visiting the Marian apparition sites in Belgium. We'll visit shrines and cathedrals. We'll visit roadside chapels and we'll enjoy some Belgian beer. We'll end our trip in Lourdes experiencing the healing that Lourdes can offer us. Anna Nuzo will be joining us as well, a Catholic musician and artist whose voice you hear every time you tune into the podcast because it's her musical voice that leads us into the show each week. I hope you'll give some consideration to going on this pilgrimage. And if you want to learn more, head on over to Nativity Pilgrimage, and I will put a link in the show notes so that you can readily find the pilgrimage and consider making your down payment today. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. If you've been a follower of my works, you know that I love saints. I especially capture the Marian devotion of 28 holy men and women in my book, How They Love Mary from Sophia Institute Press. And today I want to talk about three more saints with an individual, with an author who has written about them for children. And the book is called Someday Saints, America's Blessed, Venerables, and Servants of God. And I think it's going to be multi-volume, is my understanding. It's written by Lori Schmidt, who lives in rural Wisconsin, who has written several books, uh, chapter books. And this is the first picture book that she has written. And I'm very much looking forward uh, to talking about Bishop Frederick Barga, Father Solanus Casey, and Father Samuel Mazzucchelli. So thanks so much, Lori, for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Father, for having me.
0: So you have written several different books, and I know that you have a devotion to the Champion Shrine as well. So um, why communicate through this medium of writing books?
1: Um, Well, especially for children today, and... I'm a homeschooling mom, a re- retired homeschooling mom, you might say, and books were vital to um, to our curriculum, of course, but it was always fun, uh, more exciting when the kids could read a book, maybe in a chapter version or some other version, of, you know, out of the textbook. Um, I think that makes you know, the heroes of our faith come alive. And so that's what I, that's that's really what is the gist behind um, my writing books for children is because it was so crucial to my kids. And they, they remember at Christmas time, I would give them boxes of books and um, just random books. And they would be content really until Lent, just reading those books. And they learned so much. Let's just say a supplement to the curriculum that we were already using. So I, I think it's just beneficial for the kids, but also uh, for the moms, for, for um the parents who are homeschooling. But anybody, even um Catholic schools. I've a friend of mine whose kids go to Catholic school and she makes a point to make sure um the the books that I've written on historical fiction, you know, for kids is is in her library. Um and she presents them to the gla- classes and does book fairs and things like that. So I, I think it's all around. I think it's good for um, catechesis and evangelization, and, and it makes the um, the people come to life. You know, when, when kids read about a saint's childhood, they can relate to that. And that's really what I want to do is make the saints relatable
0: and approachable. I just want to maybe look at the corpus, the three other books you've written in addition to someday saints. One of them is called Giorgio's Miracles. So, what's the premise of that one?
1: Well, that is on the Eucharistic miracle of Turin, fourteen fifty three, and uh, the inspiration for that came about when I was uh, at adoration, and I had just finished up my grad degree, and. I had just finished up what was required for um, becoming a Marian catechist, which is an apostolate that um, His Eminence Cardinal Burke started at the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in La Crosse. And through that, you study your catechism. But the, the thrust of it is that you um, you you live a contemplative and an active life. With the Marian catechist, they had a writer's apostolate. In other words, they... Um, Encouraged people to write and they didn't really care what, you know, if it was a blog or something. But the point is to use writing as a form of communication. So I thought, well, maybe that's something that I could do, especially after finishing my grad degree. It's like all you do is write papers, right? So that was taken care of. And I was there just praying about it. And I was reading um, Joan Carroll Cruz's book. And on the Eucharistic miracles and I thought, you know, the kids, especially at that first communion age, they need to see that as kids, Christ speaks to them and talks to them, and the Eucharist is something, not just a thing you do on a Sunday in the springtime and you receive the Eucharist and you say, Oh good, that's done. No, it's it's to foster a deeper devotion to the Eucharist. And so the story is a and the the true story is that um, there were thieves in, I think, actually, France. I'm probably not saying that right, but they had just got released from, let's say it was civil wars. There was a lot of wars going on and um, between um, city-states, and these thieves were released, and they didn't have much for money, so they went into the church to steal everything that they could, and They couldn't take the tabernacle because it was built into the church itself. And so they grabbed the monstrance and candlesticks and all kinds of goods from the church, packed it up on their donkey, and then headed to Turin to sell it in the town square. And when they uh, arrived at the square, the donkey stumbled, and the pack fell off its back, and uh, the monstrance um, cracked open, and the Eucharistic host... Rose into the sky, and all the people, all of the people there, fell down in worship. But the state of the the spiritual state at that point of you know of their hearts and minds is people were losing faith in the truth, in the truth of the gospel, in the presence of the Eucharist. Um, There was a lot of economic, political hardship, and they were just fatigued. They were just tired, and so um and questioning you know what what's going on in our world when the eucharistic host raised up their spirits also raised up and they it, it was like a a restart of their faith a renewal of their faith so that is historically documented i believe saint john bosco visited that miracle um while he was alive so he he honored it of course he was in turin but The story, what I tried to do is for kids make it so that a boy had a pet donkey and the donkey through different events, you know, gets lost, runs away, ends up at this church and then the thieves use this donkey to pack the goods on his back. And so the story carries from there, but I really wanted to play on the part of kids and their pets um at least my kids you know we lived on a farm and so they had you know um calves and pigs and chickens and ducks and cats and dogs and so they each you know had a name and they they had a personality all of that so I was really playing on that relationship that a child develops with um their pet well Giorgio is the name of the main character and um his donkey was very smart, and so he trained it to kneel at the Angelus Bells. And so when you, when you read this story and the other stories I've written, I really try to thread in um, traditional, uh, let's say, acts, uh, uh, prayers, um, things like that. Um, so the Angelus is mentioned there, and so it ties in with the story that when the donkey arrives at tour and the church bells ring and he, he collapses from fatigue but also at the time of the angelus bells and so i'm i'm trying to bring it trying to educate in maybe uh, not in a subtle way but on the sidelines you know they the real gist of it is that christ is in the eucharist and, and in this miracle the host raised up but there's other parts to our faith that should be part of our daily living and back in that renaissance time um that's that's how people lived they you might say they set their clock or set the calendar by the feast days and the the, uh, moments of time in the in prayer the, the angelus and that type of thing so i um i tried to also get in uh in my stories i i promote vocations especially to the priesthood. I realize that, you know, um, religious life, uh, well, religious life too, especially in Lepanto's Lady. But um, there's a crisis in our day for good holy priests. And I know that, you know, we need to pray for marriage vocations and to the religious life and all that. But don't all of those first depend really on the priesthood and that's such a special... One of a kind, um, you know, in persona Christi. That—that that is a special calling. And I think it. What I'm trying to do with the writing is to clear away the clutter, the the noise in the world. Is Christ calling you to be a priest? Um, how is He calling you? And I, I think in each of my books there is a, a young man um, discerning the priesthood that. You know, when I started to write these stories, that was not um, that was not part of my subplot or anything. It sort of developed, and so now it's a theme that I look for ways to incorporate um, um, vocations in Lepanto's lady. There's a young girl who has a vocation to the religious life. There's another one who has a vocation to marriage. Um, so I, I try, I really try to um, promote vocations to the priesthood, I'm a mom of eight sons, and um, it's, it's very hard to be a young kid today, and it's, it's hard to be a, a good Catholic kid today, and to hear that call, and, of course, go for holiness first and foremost, but is he calling you to something special? And that's what I'm trying to let kids consider, you know, when they read something is Christ calling me? How will I respond? So,
0: Your other two books, Lepanto's Lady and Champions of the Rosary, they are a historical fiction genre as well. And what I like about them is that you're telling a story of the Battle of Lepanto. This is when... Uh, Pope St. Pius V asked the whole world to pray the rosary for, for the success of the advance of the gospel and such. But when you're writing, you actually have a different story that's leading into Lepanto. It's just not about the battle, but there's this parallel story then that you're letting unfold. And the same thing with champions of the rosary. It's about the Marian apparition and champion in a sense, and the preservation from the Peshtigo fire but there's that parallel story that runs alongside the Peshko fire. And that's how you bring in the history is with that story. So I think they are great communicators then of of these truths of our faith and also these historical facts.
1: Yes. And I try to build it through where a kid is at, you know, he's in a family. And so there's certain things that you know, as a child, you have no control over, and that would be like your parents' decisions of where you live and this and that. But the it's almost like the real world outside of your yard um, isn't that important. It, it seems like your you, the core, the the family unit, the relationships with your siblings is really first when you're at that young age. But both of these stories that, um, let's say, the the to go fire. Um, That was a very real, of course, devastating event, and how that would have affected a child. I try to go from that perspective, and even in Lepanto, the same thing. The the storyline is that a young girl is looking for her father. He's been captured by the pirates, and she is not on a quest, per se, to uh, be in the battle. She only wants to find her dad, and that's That's what motivates the story, I guess, or what propels it forward.
0: Let's talk a little bit about this. Other book uh, that you recently wrote called Someday Saints, America's Blesseds, Venerables, and Servants of God. And I'm particularly drawn to this book because I myself have a great devotion to Solanus Casey. In fact, in the year 2022, I read the entire mystical city of God because Solanus Casey recommended that to so many people that came for his counsel. So he's had a huge impact on my life and even on my Marian devotion. I've been to the shrine there in Detroit But in your book, Someday Saints, you feature Solana Casey, Frederick Barga, and Samuel Mazzucchelli. Interestingly, all of them have some connection to the state of Wisconsin. Is that why you chose to highlight these three people as the first ones in your series, Someday Saints?
1: Yes. And the other thing is that if you've been to Our Lady of Guadalupe Shrine in La Crosse, And you go up the big hill and into the shrine church. In the crypt of the church, there are three little side altars or little shrines, you might call them, that have um, paintings of these uh, heroes, um, their prayer cards, a little brief history. And so over the years, um, that's one of my favorite places to go for a local pilgrimage. And I always go and I visit them. And for years, I would stand there and I would say, "What's so great about these guys? Why are these three here? They're so different. But why are the? Why did Colonel Burke pick these to be there? And of course, uh, Father Harden was part of. Uh, I and mean, he's a servant of God now too. But they were part of like planning and praying for the shrine. And so it was kind of a personal quest to figure out who are these fellows? What did they do? And then, of course, they were all. Um, Affected the Wisconsin, but um, also really the Great Lakes region and Michigan and Illinois. And Salinas went as far as let's say New York or Harlem. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really the the reason, as they were put together there. And there's a reason why they should be together, and so it was kind of easy to decide. which the first book of my series would be because it was like, okay, I've got to pursue these three holy men. So
0: At one point in my life, I wanted to write a little bit about Bishop Frederick Baraga. And actually, it was for my book, How They Love Mary. But I just didn't really find a lot of good source texts. Uh, Essentially, I had available to me, Uh, his journal or something, which uh, it had a red cover. I checked it out from the Green Bay Public Library. And Mm. when you made your way through it, it, you know, it was kind of boring. It was like, okay, October 13th, I did this. November 12th, I had lunch with you know, John Schmoe down the road, you know, and I blessed his crucifix. And and so it wasn't really enthralling. It wasn't capturing the Marian devotion of Frederick Barga, as I was hoping that maybe it would so I could write about it. But I, I'm wondering, how did you come to know his story? What books or, or source texts did you use for Bishop um, Barga?
1: There are, there's the Barga Association. They have a lot online and a lot of uh, Videos, YouTube tutorials, perhaps. Um, there was another book, it's on my shelf. Uh, it's not jumping out at me right now. Um, the something, maybe the Snowshoe Priest. There oh, are yeah, a few right. books yep. out. Yep, there are a few out there. So those were my key um, sources, but then I just, anything I could read about them, any article in a newspaper, even. Um, there's another one written for kids or young adults, and that's not coming to mind either. But that's a little bit bigger of a book. Um, but that talked about his childhood a little bit and his relationship to his sister uh, Amalia, I believe was her name. And so my my little story about see, these are picture book stories, and there's a limited word count and that type of thing. So I had to get really to the nuts and bolts of their life, you might say, and the opening scene that impressed me so much when I read about his biographies was when he was a boy, I'm going to say six or eight years old, his parish priest walked up to him, and there he is sitting on the roadside rubbing his feet, and... uh Then the priest goes to his dad and says, you know, you're really kind of like, you're really rich. What is your kid doing without shoes? And the father says, he keeps giving his shoes away, so I'm not going to give him anymore. (laughs) So there you have this poor kid, very charitable, very kind-hearted, and who's just really trying to figure out, what am I called to do? Uh, People don't have what I have, and I want to give all that I have to the point of, Personal suffering, personal pain, and and actually that really was the theme of his life because um, he he was smart in school. He he was uh, I believe he studied law uh, because of the p- political situation of the time. He was fluent in German and Italian and even French, plus Latin and Greek because he had a good education as a child, and then he. Um, he gets this idea that he he just really wants to do something hard, as if that wasn't hard enough, and he wants to go to uh, North America, and specifically to the um, uh, indigenous people who don't know, who haven't heard the gospel. Um, And so, but my story is like, how will you get there? Because it starts out, he's got sore feet. But the interesting thing of his life is that, he traveled in so many different ways. And when he got up north, let's say to, uh, I believe, Mackinac, Sault Ste. Marie, toward Mar- Marquette, even uh, Arbor Croce in the, like the mitten of um, Michigan, there's a lot of snow up there. And he was the only priest for hundreds, hundreds of miles. How he, There was no snowmobile. You know, horses couldn't get you through. And so he... Would snowshoe, and uh, I think one year he did 690 miles in the winter just on snowshoe. Um, I cross-country ski just in our farm fields here, and when I go out to our fields into the woods, I just think, how did he do it? You know, I go out when it's 10 degrees, um, which is really nice and pleasant for skiing, but he went out when it was maybe 30 below. There was nothing that stopped this this uh, man from following his holy his holy vocation he just was what you would call um a diehard he was just uh dedicated and i i suppose the world would say you know you'd call that toxic masculinity but um in in for the sake of the gospel in the name of jesus christ what a what a way to really power out <laughs> i mean he was through the woods uh one trip in particular i, I remember reading he had to go and baptize the dying child, or he was called to do that, and the weather was horrible, and he snowshoed 57 miles one way, baptized the child, turned around, and went back. Wow. Just, you might say, as an overnight. You might just call it that. But he, he would go through the woods, and if you, I, I don't know if you've snowmobiled, you go through the woods on trails and stuff like that. I, I just hike the woods um, in the winter. I don't use a snowmobile, but... um there's coyotes out there there's wolves out there (laughs) you know uh it's not it's not like walking through a groomed park um i've sometimes the snow is super deep uh three feet deep in some places how did he manage but he managed because he was convinced that he was called to do something hard and he was he set himself up for it another thing is you know when he first came However, um when he first started his ministry, he didn't have the, you know, good gear or clothing or anything like that. There's when he was on Madeline Island, I remember reading that his cassock was threadbare and that was his summer clothes, his winter clothes. That's what he had. And I I'm sure as he got to know um the um you know the native americans the the um different tribes of people and i the indigenous people i'm sure they gifted him with appropriate clothing but at first he didn't have anything he didn't have what it to even to to sustain his comfort it wasn't there so
0: I think uh Bishop Frederick Varga when canonized uh, he can be the patron saint of winter enthusiasts. So anybody that <laughs> loves the winter sports, I, I think he's our guy. So yeah. um yeah you, you know uh I'm a I I guess you might call me crazy but maybe it's appropriate that uh Uh, There's another priest friend and I, uh, we actually went down and visited the grave of Samuel Mazzucchelli. I'll mention that here in a moment. But then uh, we wanted to go to see Bishop Frederick Barga. We've never been there. And so so Mm. he and I, we are going to go uh, in January. To the UP nice. of Michigan. And so, you know, it, it might be better because uh, it might be better to do that in the summer because the UP of Michigan is uh, a place where there's lots of snow. Right now, as yes. I look out in Door County, Wisconsin, as we're recording this, there, I see my grass. All the snow is gone. You know, we've had rain. Oh, no. Uh, it's been a weird, <laughs> weird winter. That's that's for sure. Yes, and uh, so, so I don't know what it's going to be like as we forge our way to Marquette, Michigan to visit the tomb of Frederick Barga. But there's something efficacious about visiting the tombs and the graves of these people. And that's why we did it. And uh, in fact, uh, when, uh, we went to see Samuel Mazzichelli. Your book actually came in the mail the day before. And so I, I can't <laughs> say that we all knew anything about uh, Samuel Mazzichelli. So I said, Well, I had this kid's book. Let me read you the story. And so I read the story as he was driving, and we familiarized ourselves with the l- life of uh, Father Samuel uh, Mazzichelli. And one of the things you do in this book is that there's kind of this recurring phrase. and he and I were very curious about, but I'll bring heaven's treasure. Was this a phrase you found in his writings or was this just a way that you wanted to bring out kind of the heroic aspect of his priesthood?
1: Well, when when I begin, you know, praying and, and reading um, about someone that I'm thinking maybe the Lord wants me to write about, I really look at their writings and I try to find... What did they say? What did they say? Maybe repeatedly. What was really on their heart? And one thing, Master said. I believe that at, at seventeen years old, he felt a call to be a Dominican, and he had to he had to overcome like his father. His father didn't want him to do that because he was. They were in Milan, and he was very, very wealthy. And at that part. In history, the Dominican was kind of a, a struggling order, and so it wasn't like, "Oh, you're going to go and be successful." No, you're going to go to, you know, you're going to go and do something that's falling apart. Stay here, stay in business. And he said, "I I want to go um, and do something hard. I want to I want to bring the gospel." Um, but one thing, as far as the heaven's treasure, he. Uh, I don't have the quote on top of my head, uh, off the top of my head, but it was about divine providence, that the true treasure is divine providence. And so when he, uh, you know, in the, in the book, he has a, he's carrying this little treasure box, but all that God is, everything that God is, all that he provides, how he loves you, how he, how he is always present, that is the treasure. And he the only way I could draw that is to have him carrying a treasure box with him all the time because he was bringing the fullness of the faith you know uh Jesus Christ and the Eucharist um the sacraments to all of these people and so that was that was the treasure and it also tied in with the fact that he was a he could have um stayed in ultimate luxury the best luxury of the time because His his, uh, family was very, very wealthy. So there's sort of a play on material wealth and spiritual wealth in that phrasing. So...
0: So I mentioned that my priest friend and I, uh, we go and we visit the graves of these saints. Have you been to all of their tombs? Have you visited Detroit? Have you been to uh, where he's buried uh, down in Benton, uh, Samuel Mazzucchelli? Have you been to Marquette?
1: I've been to Solanas Casey's. We went there this summer. And as far as Mazzucchelli... Last year, we went on a tour of his churches, because he built over 20 churches. And so in Prairie Chien, Wisconsin, uh, there's two in Galena, Illinois. Of course, the cathedral in Dubuque, I believe, Dubuque. Yes. So we went to those places. It's my goal this coming summer to go down to Cincinnati Mound and uh there's artifacts there that the, the sisters have preserved and one of the things he has there of course is an iron chain that he wore around his waist and nobody nobody knew that he wore that until after he died and um people can ask permission to pray with that and so if anyone needs healing um that is you know if you're close enough to the shrine it's well worth it. I, I believe that there is um, a miracle kind of under scrutiny right now to, that may help promote his cause um, there's been some healing there with that as far as going up to michigan we went up to sioux saint marie and that was the end of the summer it was beautiful but i i don't have the courage you have to go up there this time of year <laughs> up in the snow belt yeah but we'll see what happens you, you know,
0: I've and never been Saint that Marie. far. I've never been up to Marquette. I've gone maybe as far as oh. uh, Escanaba, or maybe um, yeah. there was a retreat center in like Garden City or something um, that I gave oh. a weekend retreat at one time. So, yeah, I have no idea what it's even like to drive up that far. So, uh, but but looking but he, forward to it.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of places, um, Arbor Croce or Laance. Did you go there?
0: No, but it's I know easy. that there's like a big outdoor shrine or something. We might hit that. Yeah. I, I don't know. There is. We, a... we just fly by the seam of our pants, so uh, we'll see <laughs> if we hit it.
1: Well, I tell you what, when you have kind of like a, a motto, start seeing saints, you will realize that, and this is what we started to do when we travel a little bit. Okay, let's do a little bit of history on the Catholic Church in this area. Wow, there's a jewel here that we would have drove right past. Um and that is one of the fun things about researching these uh, uh venerables and, and blessed and servants of God is um they're they're not so popular that yet. So you maybe are on a, a little bit of a treasure hunt to to find um the places they they maybe attended school or, or that kind of thing. You think, oh, wow, Solanus was actually here. And I think of that now when I read his story how he was in Milwaukee at St. Francis de Sales. And because it was German language at the time, and he did not know German, of course, he did not do well. But my um, one of our sons um, went to seminary there. And to think that he was at the same place where this um, someday saint is going to be, that's that's kind of a neat connection. Um, and I think that's what I like most is the the little trinkets like that that you discover um but if, if you go to Saint, that, that kind of topic if you go to Sault Ste. Marie um in the Proto Cathedral you can see at least when we were there it was the rocking chair that he used and also his Episcopal chair several of the books that he had written um were there and of course there are very aged and, and browning and all of that. His snowshoes, at least a pair of his snowshoes were there. That, that is neat. I, I really like seeing the artifacts. So I'm, I'm looking forward to going to Kelly's uh, shrine. I have not been to that one yet.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's just uh, there's something as you visit the grave – and you can pray there, you ask their intercession. I had a very moving experience at the grave of Samuel Mazachelli. Uh, and so uh, i I do you like you said, go out of your way to look for these things. I, in fact, I was giving a talk in Baltimore. But I had met a guy in Spain that worked at the Shrine of Saint John Neumann in Philadelphia, and so I looked at the distance, and it was only like two hours. And to me, like two hours isn't much. Like I drive an hour to get to Appleton, half an hour to Green Bay, yes. so so what's two hours, you know? But boy, you tell mm-hmm. people at Baltimore you're driving to Philadelphia and you're making that trip all in one one afternoon, boy, they think you're <laughs> nuts, you know. Uh, yes, but yes. I wanted to go and pray at the grave of Saint John Neumann, and again, I. Was very moved by his story of priesthood, uh, and then when I was there, I, I had a little extra time before I flew out, so I drove out to Emmitsburg, because that's where the national shrine of Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton is. So I prayed there at her tomb. So, so there's something mm. about praying at the tombs of the saints. It's very powerful. And uh, one of the things, you know, so I prayed at the tombs of John Neumann and Elizabeth Ann Seen. They're saints. Now, your book, Someday Saints, are about people on the way to sainthood. So we are praying for their canonization. Yeah. Do you often Wait. pray for their canonization? So there's the official canonization prayer, usually that's put out by the diocese or the cause that's supporting it. So is that something that you've incorporated into your spirituality as you write about uh, that? yeah. It, especially when
1: I'm writing, especially when I'm trying to put their story together. Um, every day I, like, for, for these three, I, every morning I, it was praying for their canonization. And it was more like, help me get this right. Because, you know, I, I'm really just kind of a Wisconsin housewife. I'm really not, um, you know, I'm, I'm not equipped to really dig deep and, you know, deep things go over my head and, and all of that. So I just want to get, take take me to the heart of it. And I think that is um, an assurance that I had, a, a comfort that I had um, with writing it. And then, of course, after I, you know, after I would get the stories together, I was able to send my, what you would call my first rough draft to, um, individuals who were like for their causes that type of thing and they were able to look at it and say nope it's not this it's that and so I feel like it was censored not not the right word but sort of like approved for accuracy that's important to me um another thing about the book and it's just a kid's book but it has the imprimatur and I'm really blessed so far that um all of my, my four books, all of the imprimatur, and you know, that may change because it depends on your bishop. And if the bishops get busy, you know, or a priest shortage, um, they're not going to, you know, relegate time for, for something like for a kid's book, right? So, that to me is an extra blessing. And I've got um, awesome priests that that reviewed it, um, and and kind of gave it their two thumbs up, and that. That to me, you know. So besides um, praying with the saints for their canonization, I do believe that there are graces that come th- through just being honest and saying, you know, I I need all the help I can get. <laughs> so I'm I'm thankful that that I had the responses that I did. So.
0: There are many other Someday Saints here in the United States. It seems that you're working on a second volume. It seems that maybe yeah. this is a book in a series. This was volume one. I don't know how many yeah. you envisioned, but could, could you give a teaser about maybe someone you're looking sure. at writing um, about?
1: Well, two of our sons are adopted uh, from Guatemala. And Guatemala, for some reason, was always sort of on my heart, and, and I really could never, you know, determine why. Well, um, so we responded and, and adopted. But there are three Someday Saints um, who, uh, two of them are from Wisconsin, and I know you visited, I, I remember on Instagram seeing that you visited uh, Brother James Miller's uh, grave in Ellis. He was... Uh, martyred, I'm going to say in 81, maybe, uh, in Guatemala, Um, I believe he's a blessed because um, he only needs one more miracle, and then there's Father Stanley Rother, and I believe he was martyred, maybe I got the years wrong, but he was martyred about six months before um, Brother Miller. And also in Guatemala. And then there is Father Walieski who um is, you know, from our well, both Brother Miller and Walieski are from our diocese, Lacrosse Diocese. And Father Walieski uh went to Bolivia and then Peru and he started uh, Casa Hogar, um Juan Pablo too, so it's uh a, a orphanage. It. He started an old folks home. He just he just lived with his people, he loved his people, he his whole whole life and so he is he is just um just a his is just a wonderful story so those are the two things i'm working on and uh two of the stories are sent to my editor and we'll see how long it takes i'm you know i do the illustrations and that that is um just an undertaking for me (laughs) it's a lot of work for me to do that um so hopefully this year and the vision is that maybe every year, you know, every year and a half, i i can pull something together and um just bring to light some of some of our american treasures. We don't we think we have to go to italy for pilgrimage or, you know, france for pilgrimage, but i i think if we start seeing saints in our area, um even visiting where like i said before where they went to where they went to seminary or went to college or you know what their home parish was we can do that still so i don't know i i just think that is one of the blessings to know that america is young and it's a young church you know you might say the catholic church is young here um compared to you know uh european areas but I, I think we have plenty of graces here. We just have to acknowledge it, embrace it, and you know, pray for pray for the canonizations of our own saints. The other thing is even if they're not canonized, you can learn so much from the, the way they lived. I know Bishop Barriga was one at one point in his life, he would get up at three in the morning to pray for three hours before the rest of his world woke up. And it didn't matter if he was in a church or if he was camped in the woods. And if you can imagine being camped in the woods and praying on the cold ground um, at three in the morning, <laughs> to, to me, I, my sons go winter camping in our woods or hiking our woods. And I just think, man, you guys are kind of crazy. I'll go out there and I'll ski a little bit, but I'm not going to like be one with nature. <laughs> so he was, he was all for that. So.
0: Well, that's wonderful. And, You know, it's been such a joy to talk today about these Someday Saints. And uh, I know that I love Samuel Mazzucchelli. I love Solanus Casey. I hope to grow in admiration of uh, Bishop Frederick Varga. Your stories help communicate a little bit of their life to me, familiarize uh, myself with them. And uh, you can also then share these stories with the young people in your life uh, it seems that it's written for children, maybe a, a, about four to eight. Is that right?
1: Yeah, but I think with the historical bios in there, that even a kid who's older will, it, it'll, it'll just be a, a, a supplement that maybe is an easier read for them, but they can still glean quite a bit.
0: Definitely. And you have a website called Lorischmidt.com and you also mentioned Instagram. So, how can people follow you on social media?
1: Um, I'm only on Instagram and it, my, my title or handle, whatever you call it is Lori Schmidt books. And if you go to my website, there's a link on my website to that, but pretty simple.
0: Just my name. Well, wonderful. Well, uh, keep up the good work, keep writing, keep sharing the story of these, uh, someday saints, because, uh, if they're someday saints, we know that we also can be someday saints as well. Thanks so much today for joining me, Lori Schmidt. Okay. God bless you. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I hope that it was enriching for you, that it deepened your love for Mary. And if you don't mind, would you please do a few things? First, follow me, Father Edward Looney, on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. Also, you can follow my YouTube page and you'll be able to see the video content that I put out each week. And if you don't mind, could you rate and review this podcast? Go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate it. And if you're able, write a review because that will help others to find this podcast as well. I appreciate you tuning in week after week. I would appreciate your prayers. And please know that I remember you in mine as well. Until next time, may God bless you and may we pray for you.